Hi there, Glocal Citizens. It's Florence Adu, your host for the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. Today, my guest comes to us from my Glocal Citizens listening audience. So someone heard the podcast and said, I know someone that would be awesome to talk to. And I agree. My guest today is Amanda Chirpy Obadike. She is the founder and executive director of STEMI Makers Africa. I think I said that right, or STEM I. STEMI Makers Africa. She's a global women tech ambassador. She's certified as a STEM professional, an AI professional, an emotional intelligence professional. She is a data scientist, a community mobilizer, a global citizen, a teacher, a mentor, and a visionary. That's a lot. So we we have a lot to talk about. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Florence. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's been a long anticipated uh, conversation, but I trust that it's going to be a wonderful one. Yes, yes, yes. So let's just jump right in. So Amanda, tell us more about where you're from, where you're local, and what your craft is. Okay, so thank you. So first things for us, uh, my name is Amanda OBDK, but uh, some call me Chirpy. It's a name I was identified with in the university, and um, I've grown fond of it. So I am from the southeastern region of Nigeria, a state called Anambra, Anambra State. But um, I naturalized in Lagos State, that's the city of uh, Nigeria. Then, yes, as for my craft, I am a data scientist by profession and um, a STEM advocate. So STEM is an acronym for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey so far. Sometimes I don't even know if I'm still a data scientist because work has uh, taken the best. STEM has taken most of my time. But um, yeah, that's what I do. Okay, interesting, interesting. So Amanda, how did a young lady from Anambra State find herself becoming a STEM professional? What was your path? I finished from the Obafemi Awolowo University of Ileife. That was for my undergraduate studies. And um, I ran business management. So if you look at it uh, categorically, uh, business management doesn't have anything to do with technology or science. So um, there was something I realized after graduation. I, there was no reasonable job because um, I didn't have the technical skills. And Nigeria was actually going into the brink of uh, lack of technical skills. We found out that uh, in the workforce, we either have a lot of expatriates because there is um, a leaky unemployment pipeline, which is due to lack of technical skills. So uh, Mm -hmm. this actually affected me. You find out that you're getting a job, but you know that you need more out of life. So I started looking inwardly and I found out that I really need to do research and see what does this uh, job market need? What are the future focus options that I can key into? So um, I had the opportunity of going for uh, a mentorship in data science by the IBM. And after I finished that, I found out that there are a lot of lucrative opportunities 
that are much more than technology. So I started researching and I found out that uh, STEM is an emerging field and at the same time, Africa needs to tap into it if we want uh, change and not just change, if we want sustainable change in our, our country. So um, I took that bold step. I said, okay, why don't I start an initiative where we would prepare young people to, uh, with future focused options and at the same time address uh, the leaky unemployment pipeline in, so that uh, instead of them outsourcing jobs to foreigners, Nigerians can also take hold of this opportunity. So, and that was how it started. And to tell you the truth, it's been a wonderful journey because you find out that this loophole has eaten deep into the system. So me being like a champion of change, I think that's like one of the most fulfilling things I can ever imagine. So that's how we started and uh, it's been good all the way. Okay. So... How did you go about pursuing your technical studies? Like, where did you find yourself? Like, what drew you? What kind of institutions drew you to them? Okay, so, um, you know, when I finished uh, with business management and um, had um, an opportunity to be trained by the IBM on data science, I mm-hmm. found out that it's not just enough to have um, or build an initiative. So I needed to go back to school. I had to apply into the Open University of the United Kingdom to understand STEM. So apart from putting me on a different perspective to see the world, it also gave me a better understanding in the field that I want to delve into. So uh, I, I did the program, a certification under the Open University by um, the United from the United Kingdom, sorry, and I also had to go in, enroll into the IBM Skills Academy in the Middle East, where I could learn more, like on artificial intelligence, business intelligence, like core data science, and all. And it also led me into partnership, further partnerships with these organizations, because uh, the good thing is that they are helpful. So they're not just giving you the technical skills; they are also trying to invest in your initiative. For example, mm-hmm. IBM, they've been really good to Semi Makers Africa, you know, finding out that, okay, well, she's not just a recipient, but we can help her, we can support her with resource tools for Africans. The same with uh, Open University, uh, the UK. So, yeah, that's how the technical skills journey has been. But I'm still learning. I'm still trying to absorb into as much uh, fields as I am in. For example, I just got into the leadership team of uh, the 500 Women Scientists. It's a platform where you have global scientists all over the world, but they're looking at helping Africans. They're looking at investing into uh, similar initiatives like mine, where they can give girls the opportunity to excel in STEM. Mm, okay. So as you were studying, as you so. I'm assuming you traveled to these places for your university or were they remote programs? Okay, some some were remote. So for the Open University, because ideally Open University, you can actually study uh, remotely. So I, yes. I, yes, so I did that from he, uh, here in Nigeria. But for mm-hmm. uh, IBM Skills Academy, I needed to travel. And as for the uh, International Business School, Business Management Institute in Berlin, I needed to travel. 
So it's okay. uh, yeah. So it was a blend. While I could do remotely, I could also I also had to travel to for some programs. Right, right. So I mean, that's part of the beauty of technology is it, you it moves with you. So so that's yeah. that's that's quite lucky. So this is where I come to the point where I ask my guests why the where. So you were able to travel for part of your education experience, and what inspired you to come back or to decide where you wanted to be living and working and being based? Where and why have you chosen that? Okay. Well, truth be told, I've had a lot of opportunities to maybe habitualize or to like shift base, you know, to better places or greener pastures like they say. But um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm so drawn to my home country and I'm so drawn to Africa. I tell people that I don't see myself leaving this country irrespective of what's happening because I know that um, I'm planted here for a reason. So um, why don't I just start preferring solutions to an existing problem? So um, not to undermine people, but I have this notion that I don't want, it's not like I'm running away. I can't run away. Who's going to solve the, the challenge? So I'm done to home, you know, because even when I was studying there, I had this uh, passion like, oh, I can't wait to go home to, you know, start integrating this, to start changing this culture fabric and all. So uh, the long and short is I don't see myself building myself uh, abroad, but I see myself excelling here in Nigeria because if very few people are making it here, I ask myself, why can't I do the same? Yeah, that's just my perspective. And that's how I've been led all through. Sure, sure, sure. So tell us a little bit more about how you came up with the concept of um, founding STEMI Makers Africa and how you how you actually you kind of bootstrapped that and, and built the organization that you're working for now. Okay, so, you know, STEMI Makers Africa is actually a non-governmental organization. We mm-hmm. are focused on three major things. We are focused on addressing youth unemployment, which is really eating deep into the system in Africa. And the gender digital divide, we know that and there's uh, an underrepresentation of women and girls in STEM. And also innovation in education. So uh, these three core things, I know that they constitute towards the development of a nation. So those are like our three core objectives. And that's why I needed to start Semi Makers Africa. So we try to equip young Africans with uh, STEM emerging tools, real world problem solving skills that they need to excel, you know, in lucrative pathways, future focused options. And most importantly, becoming more experienced for Africa's workforce. But um, in my role in STEM Makers Africa, I actually coordinate leadership, strategy management, and um, oversee the implementation of um, STEM community projects and outreaches in uh, 17 sub-Saharan countries in Africa. We are actually spreading. We actually start had uh, two, like one in Angola, and one in Chad. We started uh, two last week. So you find out that the outreach is spreading because there is a need. So, you know, these are the things that uh, drives me in what we're doing in STEMI. And um, trust me, it has been tremendous. And what we do is that we actually offer skill-based training 
We offer mentorship resource tools, especially to schools in um, underrepresented communities. We also help uh, young entrepreneurs with um, resource tools. Remember I said that uh, we're into partnership with IBM. IBM gets to help our young entrepreneurs, whether they're in the university, whether they are farmers, and uh, maybe healthcare, just to ensure that um, they ideate their solutions and like they bring their um, whatever ideas they have to reality. Mm. And how do you reaching into these communities? Like, as an NGO, my background is in public policy and working with NGO types of organizations, and sometimes the limitation is technology. I mean, you, that's the big elephant in the room is you you need technology to reach them. And then you have to use technology to actually implement what you're working on. So how exactly do you capture the minds and actually implement your work and find the projects and find the people that you're working with? Awesome. You know, I believe in collaboration a lot because, um, you know, most times when we want to penetrate communities, we find out that this communities have a lot of uh, there are a lot of challenges you can't really assess them and etc so what we try to do is we try to partner with local governments and maybe existing organizations they could be NGOs they could be social enterprise organizations then we come together because we know that we we're going to need their data they may have like uh, existing people that they are tending to but we are coming to rather complement on their work so we just do a lot of collaboration and um, also collaboration with uh, not just local stakeholders or government, but with international organizations. Um, mm. For example, uh, we had this project with um, the U.S. consulate. The, we were actually an awardee, so the, they, they funded the project and they said, okay, we would like you to train communities on STEM, you know, where they can cultivate a STEM workforce in their community by training their teachers. So we know that ordinarily it's not going to be something that we can easily implement in Lagos because of the bureaucracy and all. But we found out that we had easy access to the government, to the education board, because we said, oh, we are partnering with the U.S. consulate. So this challenge is is a sad one. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we just had to utilize the partnership and the the access we have just to ensure that we make the work go on. So we try to leverage on maybe a brand, number one, or local government or international bodies just to ensure that we synergize just through and uh, make the work happen. But trust me, it's not easy sometimes. It's not too easy, but right. we just have to push. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this is where, speaking of working with locals, this is where I ask my guests about what you hear. So this is my local speak question. So I ask my guests to share a word or phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as local speak. Okay. So, you know, when I learned of this, I smiled because um, I had a similar interview question with Botale Hub South Africa two weeks ago. They asked me the same thing. But um, I'm not going to change it because um, I see this word being meaningful and taking shape in my life. So I would say be fearless and the world awaits your manifestation. It's something that 
I coined out two years ago and I wake up every day. I tell myself this. It propels me to uh, get more, to want more out of life. You know, life doesn't give us what we want. We go get what we want. So I reassure myself every time, Amanda, you have to be fearless. The world awaits your manifestation. The world awaits what you are about to do. The world awaits your destiny. And uh, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been tremendous because it's, I'm speaking it into manifestation. And trust me, it happens every day. Every day you are hearing good news. You are, um, you are taking territories. You are occupying territories. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's powerful. Be fearless. I mean, I think that there's so much fear that is kind of endemic to so many of our African cultures just based on our history. Yeah. So there's always the, the fear that someone is going to, you know, knock you down, not allow you to get somewhere. And so people just don't do anything. And so I think that is an awesome global speak is just own your fearlessness is, is very, very important. I thank you for that. So let's talk a little bit more about your mentorship and and some of the other affiliations that you've had in terms of working with organizations to teach and reach into other countries, other communities, other, you know, maybe not necessarily technology, but really how you have cultivated yourself as a mentor. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the things I realized in the process of, you know, being underemployed was, um, I looked back and found out I didn't have any career support or academic support because um, who knows if I had that maybe and I had a clear direction, things may have sped up for me and, you know, the way I am may not be have, I would have been like, uh, I would have accelerated. So that was already a loophole and I needed to address it by making sure that young girls like me wouldn't encounter such challenge. Trust me, mentorship plays a great role in whatever we do. We mustn't say, okay, we have a mentor or maybe someone like a figurehead, but somebody that we can look up to, someone that can give us this advice, someone that can give us this guidance because we don't have everything all figured out. You know, I don't even have everything figured out, but as we go, we learn. I needed to do that. And what I had to do was I started to volunteer and uh, serve as mentors to um organizations, you know, lending my time to girls and, you know, responding to questions that they have. And I found out that a lot of them don't have like clear direction. They need someone to help them out. So I did that. And presently I'm a mentor at uh, the New York Academy of Sciences, Sherry Blair. But I said, I need to also bring this home. So we started this mentorship program last year. We're having the second cohort this year again and it's been beautiful because we've had like over 565 girls mentored already so what wow. we do is yeah so what we do is um we know that there are young africans women especially that are in diaspora and they are looking for how to give back you know so what we did was i created like a database where People, if you would like to volunteer and you're in diaspora, you are from an African country, you can sign up. So we found out that we had a lot of them that are willing to mentor as much as two girl ladies, three ladies, give them resource tools and opportunities, scholarship opportunities, just to ensure that they uh, get better in their academics. 
So um, that's what made us to launch um, a program called uh, Project Kongoza. Kongoza means is a Swahili language. It means mm. uh, to lead. So the, our coin word is um, empowering women and girls to lead. So uh, Project Kongoza actually pairs young girls, two ladies in STEM, professional in STEM, and um, it runs for a year where they get to mentor them, they get to give them the career or academic advice they need just to be better. And trust me, it's been beautiful because uh, we've been able to measure impact. We've been able to see that, okay, after mentorship, there is something there for you. There is either a job waiting for you because you already now have the confidence, you have the technical know-how, and uh, you've been given the opportunity. So we see this impact and, you know, it propels us to, we need to accelerate. And uh, we're looking at the third cohort. We'll even be going beyond Africa because we have people from Middle East trying to sign up, say, okay, we'd like to be involved. So that's it anyway. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very interesting. So being an entrepreneur and, and coming up with, you know, the concept for a company and, and doing your, your own thing, what were some of the considerations that you had to face, particularly in terms of identifying staff and identifying funding? I know you, your background is business, so I'm sure it was a little bit second nature to you, but actually being on the ground and building up the company, what what were some of the challenges and some of the triumphs that you experienced? Oh, trust me. <laughs> the challenges was numerous because um, a country like Nigeria, you know, we have a challenge of infrastructure. Take, for right. example, uh, power, you know, <laughs> power just yeah. dumped out before I had. <laughs> I had mm -hmm. an interview and also... Um, Infrastructure has uh, has really been a strong challenge, a major challenge. But for people, I've, um, I, I'd like to say that uh, we've been fortunate because I've not really had a challenge in staffing or volunteering because a lot of people just want to identify with what you do. You know, every day I'm getting messages either on LinkedIn or Facebook messages like, I would like to volunteer, I would like to contribute my time and all. So, um, I would like to say that uh, people know that there is an, a challenge, there is an issue. So they are trying to give in their best. So what we do is uh, we try to leverage on um, existing partners, number one, for example. And as for like manpower, we try to use people as volunteers. We don't really call them volunteers. We like to call them like young partners because, you know, they're bringing mm -hmm. in their skill sets, they're bringing in their time. And, you know, we really value that. So, um, Juggling this has really been, I know that these challenges are there. So what I just do is that I try to face it squarely and, you know, just to ensure that we do this irrespective of whatever challenge we have. Okay. That sounds like the, the typical way to bootstrap it in Africa. <laughs> just face the challenges and you keep on, you keep on keeping on. Most definitely. So when you say that you measure the impact and you're seeing the impact with the young women that you're mentoring, how exactly are you monitoring it? How do you, how do you continue to, to follow? Because I'm assuming these young women are high school and college yeah. age, 
right? So, so by this time, you know, in terms of how they're faring in the industry, do they stay in the industry? Do they continue to go on to school? How do you measure that? And how do you continue to cultivate those relationships? Okay, first things first, I, I measure the impact not by uh, like how many stakeholders have benefited, but mm-hmm. by, by the social value they get to add. Where, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because now we we have this uh, lean impact measurement that we get to apportion to every one of them, where we get to keep track of their progress and also be with them every step of the way. So, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, it's not like the mentorship will be done and say, oh, bye, you have a certificate and that's it. No, we try to uh, follow them all through and it's been tremendous. We find out that um, over 85% of them are in STEM fields. Some of them are freelancers. Some of them are working remotely. They are either either they're designing websites or they are uh, analyzing data. I had this news last week. One of them had to even send us like, an email that she got a little job, a remote job, and it's going to be a summer job where she gets to analyze data for the South African Radio Astronomy. And she's a Nigerian. So, you oh, know, wow. yeah, yeah, so it's... Uh, News like this actually uh, uplifts us because, you know, the pandemic has caused a lot of things. You know, we see that a lot of people are either they're depressed or they don't even know what next to do. But we hear news like this and we're like, oh, wow, there's still hope then, you know. So that's how we do it. And, you know, there's always a link between what we do differently and the change we claim to be responsible for so we say that we also give credit to the mentors. You know, the mentors made it happen. I personally wouldn't be able to mentor 560 ladies. But sure. uh, these ladies have really, um, they've really sowed the seed. And, you know, the seed has been really fruitful all the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So, Amanda, um, my next question is another regular feature of the program and it's my mindset hack. So in this, this segment, this question, I ask my guests what your favorite or an innovative mindset hack is. And it's one that you can imagine or one that you know of. Okay. I will talk about the one I know of and the one I usually do every time. So I, I take risk a lot. I do take risk because, um, it's either I'm implementing a new idea or I'm jumping into a project 100%. I'll give mm. you an instance. I, we had this uh, project that we were meant to be giving a grant at a certain time to execute this project. And uh, two weeks to the uh, event or the program, we haven't had the, the money yet. And my team was like, we need to pull out. We need to podcast. We need to postpone it. Sorry. I was like, no, we are not going to do that. We're going to look for this money and we're going to do this program. And funny enough, the investors, when they came in on the program, they were surprised that, oh, we haven't received this money and these people still pull the program. So it's a lot. This taking risks, especially in Africa, it's, uh, it takes a strong mind to do that. But it's something I've learned from my mom and it's something I try to do. And trust me, I haven't failed. Because I asked myself, what's the worst that can happen? You know, and um, it still boils down to the word I, I said earlier. Because in order, in order for us to achieve great things, we need to be ready to take risks and put all fear aside. 
you know, like I said earlier, we need to be fearless. I am fearless. So <laughs> taking risk is one of my core mindset hacks, if you should ask me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because I mean, that's the only way to actually excel here and because there are so many challenges and there's so much uncertainty. And so, you know, there's absolutely nothing. And especially now you, you mentioned the pandemic and I wanted to kind of go back to, you mentioned one country that I know has many challenges. And so you mentioned you started something new in Chad. Yes, we did. And I know that that they have very, very serious challenges from health to education, just dealing with the economy. So you've started something there very recently. And how, how did you, first of all, get in? And I know I've asked that question, but specifically for, for a country like Chad, like, you know, just give the audience a little bit of a feel of what the landscape is and how you're actually transforming it for your target stakeholders. Yeah, that's a very good question. So um, Chad was, trust, trust me, Chad was not in my year's list of, okay, if we want to expand, we're going to go into Chad. But it just happened because um, we got an email, a young person, and said, okay, he would like to spearhead a hub or uh, like a network in Chad. He sees what we're doing on Instagram and he loves it. You know, so I had to schedule a meeting and um, I needed the board to be aware. We needed to ask him a lot of questions. We needed to ask some political questions and all because, you know, like what you said is true. There are a lot of things we hear about these countries and you're asking yourself, why would you want to go to this country? You know, but um, we had to like shift everything aside. We said, there is a need. Somebody is willing to uh, bring change, drive change into his country and he's willing to Ahead, it's under the name of Semi Makers Africa. So that's what happened. Like the first project we did was um, to distribute masks to people. So, Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately enough, we had um, an organization who didn't give us the money but gave us the resources, gave us the the mask, gave us some sanitizers. We also had to bring some here from Nigeria and you know, we distributed it, and um, it was really beautiful. And uh, it's something that we want to continue. But why I'm saying this is um, I we had to leave out the risk or whatever we're seeing, whether political, economic and all. We said, so far, this is a challenge and it's something that they would like to be part of. Why don't we just give it a try? And yeah, that's what happened. Wow. The power of social media. So yeah. <laughs> that's uh definitely something great. So we're getting to the close of our conversation, but I always like to ask a question that kind of gets into not the work, the work of you, but the the more leisure you. So tell us, what are you reading now? Are you a big reader or are you a listener or are you a watcher? Okay. So (laughs) I love reading, but uh, honestly, with the way, uh, Activities has been now. I haven't really been reading as I should read. But um, I, I think I, I finished a book last week. I was kind of really slow. So I don't like e-books because I find out that I get easily tired. So I there's a book I read through. And um, it's called uh, There Was a Country by uh, Chinua Achebe. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, the book is actually is a personal history of Biafra uh, and a personal account of the Nigerian Civil War. You know, it's also known as the Biafran War. 
I know most people must have heard about the civil war in Nigeria that happened uh, between 
and um, I would like to say thank you so much, Florence, for a good job well done. Trust me, I envy you. I was just, <laughs> I buried myself on all the podcast series and I loved every one of it. So thank you so much for giving you. your platform. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate speaking with young dynamic leaders. And so you're definitely on your way. We'll be looking out for STEM I makers, Africa, down the line. Yes. Thank you. So that's all for this week, Global Citizens. As always, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts, as well as www.glocalcitizenspod.com. We have new episodes each and every Tuesday. Please do subscribe, comment, and make recommendations. That's how we have wonderful guests like our guests today. So until next time, bye for now. Bye.